I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every great path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast, we shall be looking at the theme, faith towards God itself. And we want to look at that theme and understand what it is saying. And in this discussion, we shall be defining and describing faith. The essence of what we are doing is focusing now on scriptural faith. Before we move forward, let's do a quick review of what we looked at last week. We looked at faith in general and in scripture. We looked at its application in general and as it applies in scripture. We looked at the synonyms of faith and they are applicable both in general and in scripture. And so sometimes we tend to confuse the two. For example, synonyms like assurance, belief or believe, confidence, dependence, reliance, holding on to someone or on to something, resting upon someone, conviction, being convinced about what someone says about himself or what they tell you about something and being persuaded to pursue a course of action and such things as that. Now, we noted that there's a distinction between the faith in general and faith in scripture and that when that distinction is not made, we run foul of trying to leave the faith of scripture in general. What distinguishes between faith in general and faith in scripture is the someone that we have confidence in, the someone that we put our trust in, and also the source of the information about that someone. So we noted that in general, we tend to have faith in experts, in our employers, in the executive in our companies or our organizations, in even some employees, in equipment, in weapons, and so on and so forth. But we also noted that when it comes to scriptural faith, there's only one someone, and it is God, and in his word. His word actually is the source of the information about God that helps our faith. Also, we made it clear that if your faith is in anyone except in God, you will be greatly disappointed. It may work for a while, but you will discover that your expectation will be dashed at some point in time. It is only in God and in his word that we are not disappointed. It is in God and his word that we find actualization in that which we express or put our faith in. So we want to move swiftly on as we discuss faith toward God. And we'll begin by defining and describing faith. Now, I'm using the term faith, not in a general sense, but as the scriptures put it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let's look at the scriptural definition of faith. This is not the only definition of faith, but it would suffice for us for this time because it is the kind of faith that we are speaking about. There's the saving faith, the faith that brings salvation through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. But this also envelops that and speaks about the faith that we exhibit on a daily basis and as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things that we are hoping for, and it is the evidence of things that are not seen. Let's try and break this down. The word substance carries with it the meaning of the ground, 
or something that you can rest upon, like a solid ground or a firm foundation. So the word substance would mean the ground or the basis or the foundation on which we stand with confidence, something that does not shift. So it says faith is that ground. Faith is that basis. It is that confidence on which we stand in such a way that what we hope for will come to pass. The things that we hope for are those things that have been spoken that they will take place. Here we're looking at the word of God. So when we talk of the things that we're hoping for, we're talking of the things that God has said that has not come to pass, but that we are anticipating, that we are expecting to take place. Things that we expect that they would happen at some point in time in the future. So when we say faith is the substance of things hoped for, we are saying faith is the basis, is the confidence that we have that what God has said will happen, will actually happen, regardless of what we see with our eyes. Then when we look at the second part, which speaks of the evidence, it speaks of the irrefutable proof or the convincing proof of the existence of something, the demonstration that proves that that thing exists. So evidence, for example, when you look at evidence in the broad sense of the word, in a court of law, you are given a statement of something you have witnessed, something you know to be true, something you have seen. And so you are saying that this is what happened. This was how I saw it. And you describe what you saw. So here, evidence of something that you have not seen is talking of a convincing proof that you have that this is so. It is such a proof that nothing can move you from that truth or from that proof. For example, Somebody comes to you and says to you, do you know that your father is not your father? If you have any doubt in your mind, then you don't have that evidence. If you did, you wouldn't even give it two thoughts because you have an irrefutable evidence that the person who is my father is my father. So that's the kind of word that is what evidence is speaking about. An irrefutable proof that what is existing or what is said to be existing actually exists. And so we now come to the other part, which is the things not seen. And here we are talking of the invisible world. We are speaking of the spiritual world, the unseen world, the unseen world of God, heaven, hell, and so on and so forth. So we are talking of the irrefutable proof that we have that God exists, that hell exists, that heaven exists, that there are angels, there are demons, and there are devils of the unseen. The International Standard Version of the Bible puts Hebrews 11 verse 1 like this. Now, faith is the assurance that what we hope for will come about and the certainty that what we cannot see exists. Let me read Hebrews 11 in context using the International Standard Version. So I will go to Hebrews chapter 10 and take it from verse 32 and try and explain how we got to Hebrews 11 verse 1. Let me give a background. Hebrews is a letter. Nobody really has the evidence that Paul wrote it, even though many people ascribe it to Paul because of the language and other things. But nobody can really say definitively that it's Paul. So you have a lot of Bible scholars talking about the writer of Hebrews because they don't really know who wrote it. But whoever the writer of Hebrews happened to be, he was addressing Jewish Christians. And because of the environment because of what was taking place at that time many of them were tending to go back to judaism they were tending to return and so from hebrews chapter one it begins to speak about the fact that christ is the son of god speaking to them that god at sundry times 
and in the old times spoke to their fathers through the prophets. But that in this time, he is speaking to us by his son, Jesus Christ, who is the express image of the father. And then he tells them that Christ is greater than angels. Because he said, to which of the angels did you hear God say, this is my beloved son? But of Christ, he said, this is my son. This day have I made you to rule over the world. And then he goes on to tell them that the Moses that they venerate, Christ is greater than Moses. Moses, yes, is the one who built the house, but the owner of the house is greater than the builder of the house. And Christ is the owner of the house. Moses merely carried out the building of the house that Christ wanted him to build. And then he goes on to talk about the priesthood of Christ and said that the priesthood of Christ is in line with the priesthood of Melchizedek, who was without father, without parents. Nobody knew where he came from, but he was a priest of the Most High God. He himself gave bread and wine to Abraham when he was returning from the conquest of the four kings and says that the priesthood of Christ is greater than the priesthood of Aaron, which they all revered and spoke about the work of Christ as a priest. So he spoke about those things. Then he now comes to chapter 10 and he begins to encourage them to live for God in spite of the challenges that they are facing. So by the time he gets to verse 32 of chapter 10, he now challenges them further. He says, but you must continue to remember those early days. I'm reading from the International Standard Version. Those early days, how after you were enlightened, after you became born again and you had the word of God and you received the word of God, you endured a hard and painful struggle. At times, you were made a public spectacle by means of insults and persecutions, while at other times, you associated with people who were treated this way. So in the early days when you got born again, is either you were insulted and you were subject to persecution or you had associations with people who were treated like that. In verse 34, it says, For you sympathized with the prisoners and cheerfully submitted to the violent seizure of your property because you know that you have a better and more permanent possession. You knew at that time. You know it. So you went through these things. So in verse 34, it says, So don't lose your confidence. The ground on which you are standing, don't lose it. Since it holds a great reward for you, as a reward for sticking to what God has said to you. In verse 36, it goes and says, For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you can receive what he has promised. Don't forget, this is the promise. And we're going to see what the promise is as we go on. So he's saying to them, you have done so much, you've given up so much. Now you must switch to endurance. Endurance is a higher level than patience. Patience is passive. Endurance is active. While you are enduring, patiently enduring, but it is moving towards the direction of long suffering. In verse 37, it says, For in a very little while, the one who is coming will return. He will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. The King James will say, The just shall live by faith. My righteous one will live by faith. And if he turns back, that is, if he backslides, my soul will take no pleasure in him. Now, we do not belong to those who turn back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is the assurance that what we hope for will come to pass. What is it that we hope for? Our eternal salvation. That is the promise that God had made. And they're saying, endure so that that promise of eternal salvation will come to you. Our faith is that ground that we stand on, that that salvation that we are looking for 
that we're expecting, that we're anticipating will surely come to pass. And so he's saying to them, hold on, endure, let your faith be unwavering. So you can say in a sense that scriptural faith is an unwavering faith. It is a faith that does not depend on two opinions. It has only one opinion, God, and the evidence or the certainty that what we cannot see exists. That this God that we trust, he exists in spite of the suffering. This powerful God who is so powerful that is a fearful thing to fall into his hands, he exists. He says faith is that evidence. We are so sure that God exists. So that is the context of Hebrews 11.1. He was trying to encourage them to stand firm in God and not to give up, not to relent in their faith in God. So he now comes and defines faith. And then if you read it again further, you will see that he gives an illustration of what faith is about. After verse 1, he now gives an illustration. He says in verse 2, he says, By faith, our ancestors won approval. I'm still reading ISV. Our ancestors won approval with God. That is, they were approved by God because they believed, because they trusted God. They trusted the word of God. Not because they did what was in the law, but because they trusted God. Their actions showed that they trusted God. Even when they carried out the law, it was with the trepidation of what God wanted them to do. They were not doing obeisance to the law, but to God. And in verse 3, he says, By this faith, we understand that time was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are invisible. So the things that we are seeing at one time were invisible. Faith tells us that. So when we have faith, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days. We don't ascribe anything to one day is like a thousand years. No, six literal days. God said, let there be light. God said, let the grounds come forth. Let the waters be separated. The waters above go to where they are. The waters on the ground go to where they are. Let vegetation come forth. Let all living creatures come forth. Then God made man and said, go and multiply. We know it be by faith, by this faith. So we don't have any other evidence but what we have heard. Of God. That's why we are going to discuss the source of faith, of scriptural faith. It doesn't come from fables. It doesn't come from storytelling. So when we read Hebrews 11 verse 1, in the context of Hebrews 10 from 32 to the end, when the Bible was put together, if they had not put chapters and verses, it would be difficult to find things in scripture. So they put chapters and verses. But sometimes the chapters and verses tend to give a screeching halt where there should be no halt at all, where it is just a continuous statement. So chapter 10 of Hebrews should ideally flow straight into chapter 11. But for convenience sake, so that we are not searching for things, we have the chapters, the verses, and so on and so forth. But we must understand that it's a continuation of chapter 10 that brings us to chapter 11. Now, when we look at faith as defined in verse 1 of chapter 11, in the context of Hebrews chapter 10, 32 to the end, like we've already seen, the suffering and everything. We come to three conclusions about faith. That is scriptural faith. That one, scriptural faith is tangible. You can hold on to it. As they say, you can take it to the bank. Let me give an illustration. If you were to go to a friend and tell him that you're in dire straits and that you need help, and he writes you a check for one million naira, you have the check in your hand. You don't have the cash in your hand. And let's assume that you had a big row with your wife 
in the morning before you went to your friend and your wife was going on about certain things that she needed to buy and so so that's why you actually went to your friend and now you are holding a millionaire check in your hand a check not cash the first thing you do you pick up the phone you call your wife and you say my dear by the way those things that you say you want to buy please go ahead and pick them tell the fellow that you'll give the fellow the money tomorrow your wife will wonder, where did you get the money? Say, don't worry. I'll tell you when I get home. But go ahead, make all the purchases you want to make. You probably make a few calls. Why? You are holding a check. What has happened to you? You have an assurance that this one million naira check is as good as one million naira cash. You are standing on the ground. You have an assurance. But you see, that check we're talking about now is in the realm of the general faith. I'm using it to explain scriptural faith. The first thing you do actually when you see your friend write you that check, you will thank him profusely. Why? It's an act of faith. You don't have the money with you. You only have a check. But you trust him. So you thank him profusely. You've made a call to your wife. You've asked her to stock the home that you are going to pay. Why? You are sure that there's money coming into your account. You take the check to the bank. They credit your account. It's simple and straightforward. You are confident that what that paper you are holding, it's just a sheet of paper albeit with certain specifications and the signature. And you have it. You are sure of it. And you live according to that. It is tangible. Faith is that tangible. You can literally hold it. You can take the promise of God to a bank, the bank of heaven. It will be cashed. The promise of God is like that check. There is what you are looking for in that promise in a bank. You pay it in, your account is credited with the promise. So faith, being tangible is not imaginary. You can't dream up something and call it faith. No, that's a dream. That's an idea. That's an imagination. Faith is tangible. A lot of people are dreaming up things, imagining things and calling it faith. It is not from the head or from the mind. It's from the heart, from within your spirit that is linked with the spirit of God. It's something that you know that God said. You don't pick on what God did not say and ascribe it to God said, and you are trying to leave that. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 to 27, is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had become high officials of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we're not going to read it. And Nebuchadnezzar had built this massive statue, and he asked people to bow to it when they heard a particular sound. And as people were bowing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow. So they reported them to Nebuchadnezzar. And he said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not bow to my statue. They said, if you don't bow, I'm going to throw in fire. And said, oh king, we are not careful to answer you on this matter. The God whom we serve, he will deliver us. But please, king, understand, even if he doesn't deliver us, we are not going to bow. They were so confident in the God that they serve that they were willing to risk it all. And they said to the king, even if God does not rescue us, he is still God, we will still do what he wants us to do. That is tangible faith. They were not wavering. Death was not the issue. God was the issue. Nebuchadnezzar was so upset that the Bible says he told them to heat up the furnace seven times. That indeed the soldiers who were to throw those three Hebrew kids into the furnace themselves were burnt to ashes by the furnace. So I normally say that they virtually walked in themselves because the people who were supposed to throw them in were burnt. And then they got into the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, wait a minute. And was telling his officials, did we not throw three men inside this thing? They said, yes. How come I'm seeing a fourth man in there with them? And that fourth man looks like the son of God. Shedak, Peshen, and Abednego did not see anything. They only had confidence in God. That what God has promised, he's able to do. It was Nebuchadnezzar 
who saw the fourth man. They didn't even see the fourth man. The Bible describes that the fire that they were thrown into burnt the ropes that they were tied with, but did not burn their clothes, did not burn their beds, did not burn their hair, did not touch any part of their body. In fact, when they came out of the furnace, because Nebuchadnezzar said, come out, oh, come out from the place, they themselves walked out on their own. The Bible says that when they came out, the smell of fire was not on their apparel or their beard, their hair, not even hair of the skin was singed by that fire. They were protected. Their faith was tangible. It was a substance. It was something that they could hold. Faith is not a nebulous thing. It's not imaginary. It's something that is rooted in what God has said. So the writer of Hebrews was telling them, I want you to believe God. Hold on to God. That which he said concerning your eternal salvation will take place. Even though they kill you. So he had to go on now later in chapter 11 to explain how other people had lived with this God by faith. Faith is tangible. The spirit of God in you will speak to you about what God wants you to do and you do it. Will speak to you concerning eternal salvation and say to you, don't sell yourself cheap. Hold on to God and you hold on to God. The second thing that we can say about faith is that scriptural faith is true. Scriptural faith is not just tangible. It is true. It is not unreal. It is not a lie. It is not a fable. It is real. A lot of times we find people expressing doubt. At some point we are going to look at things like doubt, unbelief, fear, and so on and so forth. These are things that we call faith killers. Faith is real. It is not a lie. It is not a fable. In Numbers 23 verse 19, Numbers 23 verse 19, the Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19. This was Balaam, by the way, speaking. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? This is the New King James. God is not a man that you like. Now, I want you to understand. There's something, there's a reason why I drew that scripture out. It simply tells you that men tell lies. So when a man is speaking, you must take it with a head pan of salt. You need to make inquiries from God. If God is speaking to that man or that man is speaking of himself. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, this is Samuel speaking. He says, and also the strength of Israel, speaking about God here, will not lie nor relent. For he is not a man that he should relent. So you can see, faith in God is supposed to be unwavering. It's true. Why? Because the one that we put our trust in is not a liar. You cannot force God to make a statement. So once he makes that statement, he's making a statement of truth. It's not a statement that will change tomorrow. It's a statement that is factual. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1 to 20, we won't read it, but you can read it at home. The Bible tells us the story of how Elisha had said that within 24 hours, the siege that Israel was under would be over and that food will be cheap in Samaria. Now, this high official upon whom the king relied, his advisor or commissioner or minister, his expert, looked at everything and said, it cannot happen. And Elisha said to the man, okay, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not partake of it. And then Elisha was prophesying. He didn't know how God wanted to do it. That was not his business. You see, the problem with many of us when we're talking of faith with God is we want to think of how God will do it. And so many a times we disbelieve God because we are looking at how do you want to figure out God? I always ask people, that, how do you want to figure out God? Can you explain intelligently 
to a three-year-old how children are born from conception to delivery. And do you think that that three-year-old can understand what you're saying? It's the same thing. You want to understand God, you, a finite being, want to understand an infinite being. How do you want to do that? You want to understand God. It is the part of God that God opens up to you that you will see. But you in your mind, you can't understand God. So when God tells you something, you just accept it. How he's going to do it is none of your business. He's not asking you to do anything, except, of course, he tells you, do this, do this. That's a different case. But how he's going to bring it about, that is his business. He told David on one occasion, he said, when you hear the movement in the mulberry trees, know that I've given you the victory. So David had to wait to hear the sound. And then he moved and gained victory. So here, after God had spoken through the prophet, that same day, he got four lepers who were at the gate of the city of Samaria. And they began to talk. They were there all this while. They said, we have to make up our minds on what to do. It's either we go to the camp of the enemy or we go to the city. If we go to the city, these people who are eating their children, they will eat us up. If we go to the enemy, the enemy is likely to kill us. But let's go to the enemy. Why would they have chosen to go to the enemy? It is God. You see, when God says something, the machinery that would bring that thing to pass has already commenced. He's not saying it and start. No, he has already commenced it. And so these four lepers began to walk towards the enemy's camp. Somehow, before they got there, God had caused the enemy to hear a sound as of chariots. Now, we don't know whether it's the crawling of the lepers that they heard or whatever, but they heard a sound and they abandoned everything and they fled. So when these lepers got to the enemy's camp, they looked here, they, they didn't see anybody. They, started, they didn't see anybody, so they began to acquire things. They began to gather things. But all of a sudden, one of them was smitten in his conscience. Say so what we are doing is wrong. This is a day of good news. There's more than enough. How much can we hide? There's enough for everybody here. We need to go back to the city and inform them that the enemy has vanished. So they went to the city, stood at the city gates and told them, the enemy's camp is empty. The enemy has left. They didn't believe it. But they said, well, let's pass it on. So the guards at the gate spoke to the guards at the palace door. The guards at the palace door spoke to the servants inside. The servants there spoke to the advisors. The advisors spoke to the king. And then the king said, this is what has happened. Those people have gone to dodge. If we come out, they'll just rush us. So some of the servants said to the king, why don't you send somebody? Let them go and investigate. And then they come and tell us. So they sent some people. They went, they found, they said, it is true. So the king now sent that officer who said it can't happen. He sent him to go and gather the things and distribute to the people. So when he went, the people rushed. And that's how they crushed him. So indeed, he saw with his eyes, but he did not partake of it. The word of God is truth. When he speaks, he does not speak recklessly. He does not speak casually. There are a lot of people who are taking God for granted, who are just saying, thus says the Lord, when God has not spoken to them. And they want to make God to be a liar. But God does not tell lies. He doesn't owe you anything. And he doesn't have to tell a lie. It is better for you not to say a word than utter a word and say, God told me. When God did not tell you. Faith is true. That's why Hebrews 11 verse 3 that says. By faith we understand that the walls were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. When the world was being made, God said. He spoke and things happened. The Bible says he spoke and they stood firm. They were established. That is the power that is in the world. Faith is true. Faith is tangible. Again, don't forget, I'm speaking of scriptural faith now. We're no longer discussing faith in general. Scriptural faith is true. It is tangible. The third thing is that faith is truth. 
It's not just true. It is truth. That is, there is no deception in it. It is not deceptive. A lot of people come and say, God told me this. There's, I don't think God told me this. I think God, that is deception. We see this a lot when young men are saying they want to get married. And they say, oh, God said I should marry this. And then tomorrow they want to marry another person. Then tomorrow they want, no, 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 no. That's not faith. That's just a person's carnal mind driving him around. Whatever God has promised will surely come to pass. Even though the events occurring presently would suggest differently. The promise made by God will surely come to pass. Faith is truth. Whatever God tells you is truth. Even though the facts, what you see with your eyes, may seem to contradict what God is saying. In Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, from verse 17 to 21, the Bible says, as it is written, speaking of Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was almost a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Speaking about Abraham here, that God came to Abraham and told Abraham that he will have a child. Abraham was 99 years old then. Sarah herself laughed and said, this old man, where is he going to get the energy to do anything that will bring, up, bring about a child? But the Bible says that God gave them strength. He strengthened Sarah. He strengthened Abraham. They copulated. Nine months later, according to the word of God, a child was born. I don't think we have looked at the story of Abraham and Sarah well enough. For example, there was no cesarean operation on Sarah. She was 90 years old. She was able to push a child out at 90. Why? God was the one. Everything about Isaac was by faith. Abraham was strengthened because he believed God, because he trusted God, not because he took Viagra or any of those silly drugs. Sarah was strengthened, not because she put on makeup, but because God made her so. Not because she used Botox or any of those things. No, because God made her so. At the end of it all, Isaac came forth. Abraham was a hundred, Sarah was ninety. The word of God is truth. Everything is before God. Let me explain this to us. You see, if you find yourself in the presence of God, you are going to see so many things happening at the same time because God dwells in timelessness. The things before, the things present, and the things to come, they are all happening at the same time. That's why a lot of times when you have dreams, some dreams, you are confused. You don't know whether something that happened before, something that is happening presently, or something that will happen in the future. You don't know. Because God dwells in timelessness. But when it comes to the earth, he now gives it time. So that is why I keep saying, and I insist with every fiber of the word of God in me, that a lot of these annual prophecies are not of God. Because God does not speak that way. When God speaks to you, that one word that he has spoken to you will see you for the rest of your life. He can repeat it over and over again to strengthen your faith, to bolster your faith, but that every year God will be speaking according to the time of man. Oh, please. That's not how God works. God does not work with human time. He works with his own time. So you must understand that if God spoke to you 20 years ago and that word has not taken place, it will surely come to pass. Why? Faith is truth. 
I think it's in Isaiah chapter 55, as if verse 8 to 10 or thereabout, where God said that the word that proceeds out of my mouth is not going to return to me until it has accomplished the task, the purpose for which it was sent. It is only going to return to me to tell me it is finished. It is accomplished. That is what the word of God, the person, the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ did. God spoke about salvation in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall of man. Centuries after, it finally happened. And by John chapter 19, as the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the original word of God, the one who was at the beginning, the one who was with God, the one who is God, the one without whom was anything made that was ever made, the one who was with God in the beginning, he yelled and said, it is finished, accomplished. Salvation is done. He came to the earth and accomplished his task. And then he returned. And he has said, I am coming back again. And that is what Hebrews 11.1 is addressing. That your faith is to be built on the ground that that salvation that God has promised will surely happen, surely come to pass. Rest assured. So he said, faith is the assurance that that promise of salvation that God has made will surely take place. It is the evidence, the demonstration, the irrefutable proof that God indeed exists. By the time you get to chapter 11, verse 6, it says, those that come to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of them who diligently serve him. We'll conclude. Scriptural faith directs your action. When you have faith, even in the secular, when you have faith, your action is based on your belief. If you believe something, your action will prove that which you believe. In James chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons are expressing a kind of faith. But it is not one that will save them because they are irredeemable. But they tremble. We say that there is one God. We believe that there is one God. But we don't tremble. That's what James is saying here. You guys say, look, the demons, they believe and they tremble. But we, we say we believe, but we don't tremble. Where is the tangibility of our faith? Where is the truthfulness of our faith? Where is the truth in our faith? Where is the reality of our faith? If you go to verse 21, the Bible says, Was not Abraham, that's James chapter 2 verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Was he not justified? He believed God and he acted based on his faith. Now in Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, the Bible describes in illustrating faith, which we are talking about, he describes it from 17 to 19. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, when Abraham was taking Isaac to be killed, Abraham had zeroed his mind that Isaac would die, but God will have to bring him back. Because God had said to him concerning this Isaac, that in him shall all your seeds be blessed. So he gave it. If he says he wants it back, I will give him and he will give him back. In a figurative sense, that's what happened. Even though Isaac was not physically killed, but figuratively speaking, that's what happened. Abraham received a different son from the one that went to the altar. He took what was his to the altar and brought back what belonged to God. Faith is real. The action of Abraham showed that he believed God, that he trusted God, that he depended and relied on God, that he was convinced 
that the God who gave him Isaac would either give him another son or will resurrect Isaac. No wonder when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking to the Jews in John chapter 8, he said to them, your father Abraham, he saw my day and he rejoiced. What was it that Abraham saw? Abraham saw the ram that was locked in a bush that would become a substitute for Isaac and understood that that ram was Christ in a figurative sense and that what he was doing in sacrificing that ram and that ram taking the place of Isaac was the redemption of mankind through Christ. Where Christ, the sinless, dies for the sinner. They said he rejoiced, he was glad. The people almost threw him off, said you are mad. A demon has possessed you. They didn't have faith. The language of faith is a very strange language. It is the language of God. We speak the language of faith with such authority that people will think that we are crazy. That's what happened to the Lord Jesus. They thought he was crazy, but he had spoken. Finally, in James chapter 2, verse 25, he's speaking about Rahab. He says, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Let's look at the faith of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. And I'll read from verse 8 through to verse 13 or so. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 to 13. Now, before, that is before they despised, laid down, she, that's Rahab, came up to them on the roof. You know that Rahab had hidden them. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. This is a hidden woman. She's not born again. It is her land that they are coming to take. So I know the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. This is a heathen. Now therefore, I beg you, swear to me, to the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and my mother, my brothers, my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Let's stop there. Rahab, a prostitute, believed and her action showed that she trusted God. She hid this, she could have ratted them out, but she knew there's no need. If you kill these ones, they will still take the land. Is their God. Their God is not like our God. She knew this. These are the things that made God to marvel. That's why when they went to Jericho, God told Joshua, make sure you get Rahab and her family out first before you destroy them. Make sure you don't touch them. When you exhibit this kind of faith, God is pleased. He will defend you with everything that he's got. He will stand there with everything that is God, except it is something that will bring you to him. No problem. The kind of faith that we are talking about when we talk about scriptural faith is an active faith. It's not passive. It's not, I believe, I believe. No, it's active. We will see it in the lifestyle of the individual. If indeed you have the faith that we are talking about in your salvation, you will know that you also have the power against sin. The problem we have is that we are not teaching people that they have the power against sin, so they keep falling. But the power is in you. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8, verse 31, 32, and I think 36 or so, he says to the Jews who believed, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. He says, whom the Son shall set free is free indeed. Why are you going for deliverance every week? Why are you going for those deliverance meetings every week? 
or every month you go for a program. The same thing every month. No relationship with God. Your relationship with a man is with a church. Is with a program. Where's your relationship with God? Do you know that if you don't have a personal relationship with God, you have no access into heaven? Do you know that? It's not enough to say I'm born again. Where is the action of your faith in God? This is the challenge. Let us get away from all these man-made contraptions. And let's search our hearts and seek after God. If happily we might find him. And hold on to him with both hands. Knowing that we are dealing with a tangible God. With a true God. And a God who is truth. Let our faith be active. Let us not have a docile, lazy faith. That doesn't take anybody anywhere. We are going to look more at this subject of faith towards God. But all we did today was just to look at faith. And to tell us that it is the assurance that we have. That what God has said will surely come to pass. It is the evidence, the demonstration, the irrefutable proof that we have. That God indeed exists. That heaven exists. That hell exists. That if you do something wrong against God, you will go to hell. Except you repent and change your ways. That is the truth. It's not the emotion that a man is trying to parry you and say, oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You need to worry because God is not joking. As we go on, you will realize that as you come to know God, the life of faith is an easy life. Until we meet by the grace of God, we'll discuss the direction and subject of faith. And by the grace of God also, we should be able to discuss the source and the purpose of scriptural faith. Until then, God bless you.